Hello and welcome to The Account, a podcast about how we fund the sustainable future that everyone I think now knows that we really need. I'm Richard Murphy, a professor of accounting practice at Sheffield University Management School and an economic justice campaigner. I'm also the author of the Funding the Future blog, to which the content on this podcast is pretty intimately related. There's more information at the end of this podcast on where you can find that blog and other places where I publish my ideas. That, though, can wait for a moment. I now want to talk about the key issue that this edition of The Account is all about. The talk that makes up the bulk of this podcast was never intended to be broadcast as such. It was, in fact, simply a practice run for a presentation that I made to Cooperatives Wales on May 13th, 2023, to celebrate Robert Owen Day. What I was invited to talk about was creating a new economic paradigm for the left in the UK, something which for me seems to be fundamental to creating our sustainable future. As it turned out, the practice run was... I thought pretty good, and in many ways easier to adapt as a podcast than the YouTube video of the actual event, which will also come in due course. So that's why I'm offering it here and hope that it might be of interest. Thank you for asking me to talk at this event to celebrate Robert Owen Day. I want to explain to you what I think is wrong with the economic paradigm that many on the left are now signed up to, and to explain that there is an alternative, a workable, viable, fundable alternative to that paradigm, and as a result, to explain to you where I think the money can come from that can fund all our futures, which I believe is entirely possible, as I will explain, I hope, within half an hour. Let's just talk about the left of centre economic paradigm, because to be honest, I think that has only existed for one period in history, and that was from 1945 to 1975. I will be honest, I clearly don't remember the beginning of that. I wasn't born until 1958, and I went to university right at the end of it, not realising that an era was already coming to an end, but doing so in May 1979, when Margaret Thatcher was elected as Prime Minister. And that 30-year period was the period of social democracy. The time when the welfare state was built, the time when the NHS was built, when the idea of council housing expanded enormously, although it had existed before the Second World War. The time when nationalisation was actually a way of organising natural monopolies in a way that ensured that they did not exploit the people of this country, but did exist in a way designed to meet their needs. And it was a period of state control of the economy in a way which we haven't really seen since. Control of the exchange rate, control of the money supply, control of the interest rate, and much else. It was defeated in the end, this Keynesian era, was defeated by a number of things. One was the rigidity of the system, 
designed during and immediately after the Second World War, it lacked the flexibility to exist 30 years after that period of state control came to an end. People wanted more control of their lives than it allowed. But there were other factors too. The end of empire, which I have to say, did help underpin it. The end of the gold standard, which was the way in which international money was regulated and the exchange rate and so on was controlled. And then there were oil crises resulting from the flooding of US dollars onto the world market, which again resulted in inflation. But most of all, there was an absence of thinking about what came next. If I'm honest, I think the left has been lazy when it comes to imagining how to deliver for the well-being of people. The right have not shared that laziness. In 1947, Milton Friedman and Hayek met to form something called the Montpalaran Society. And out of that grew neoliberalism, the belief that Economic growth can be delivered to improve the well-being of people through a faith in market solutions. This paradigm, that simple belief, has been enormously funded, as we know, by people on the right wing, the Koch brothers and others. And the fact that it has been shown that it doesn't work has not shattered this fundamental simple belief so clearly seen in the thinking of Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng, which was so destructive last year, of how the world should be. They believe that, again, the destruction of 2008, which was so obviously the time when that era should have ended, did not shatter their faith in the system. The fact that every bank is now run with a state subsidy is ignored by them. The faith remains. But we really do know that neoliberalism has failed. The UK isn't working anymore. 13 years of austerity and the drive for small government is quite literally destroying us. Government now only seems to exist to transfer state revenues into the private incomes that benefit a few. Our freedoms are very definitely collapsing, as we saw last weekend. And neoliberalism has no real answers to the challenges that must be addressed by a proper new paradigm. And they are, of course, climate change, failing public services, growing inequality, the rise of private debt, not public debt. That is absolutely under control. It's private debt that is of great concern to me. And, of course, the threat from AI, the fact that actually this might again form a fundamental shift of returns from labour to capital. So we need a new paradigm, and I have been thinking about that. And what I believe the left wants to create is a sustainable economy by putting all the resources available within a society to best use, including those that the market fails to use to best effect, of which, of course, there are so many. The logic is that of Lord Keynes when he spoke on the BBC in 1942 trying to encourage a war-battered nation to believe that it could win. He said, we can afford whatever it is that we are capable of doing. And I believe him. 
I think he was right. Of course, we have to understand what we're capable of doing, and unfortunately there may be some serious limitations on that in the UK right now because of 13 years of austerity and everything went with it. But the reality is that we are capable of so much more than we are doing. But to do that, we need to understand some fundamental economic truths. There are a number of these which I'm going to challenge, and I'm going to have to do it rather quickly in the time I've got available. One is the idea that governments can run out of money. This is simply not true. Quantitative easing has shattered that myth. £895 billion was created by the Bank of England between 2009 and 2021 to fund the government without any resource to borrowing or taxation. It was simply new money creation. Therefore, if we believe that, and we know that it is true, the demand that a government must balance its books has also been shattered by QE. Because governments are now not dependent on borrowing, if the financial markets become unreasonable and demand too much from them, the government can simply say, blow you, we'll fund ourselves. And it can. Which means governments can also take back control of interest rates, which would be so important at this moment when the Bank of England is literally driving us to the wall. So we need to understand that government is not constrained in the way that everyone says it is. The idea that Liam Byrne wrote, wrote in his note in 2010 to the incoming Chief Secretary to the Treasury that there is no more money was Really, really a terrible joke. But we also need to appreciate some other things. One is that money is not what most people think it is. I put out a very short podcast on it, this issue this week. Money is just debt. And money is created by lending and nothing else. It's created by the Bank of England, lending to the government to spend which is why the government is not dependent upon tax to fund its activities, and it's created by private banks lending to private individuals to spend, and that is where savings come from. There is no such thing as making money by running businesses or anything else. Money is simply created by banks lending. What is more, banks don't borrow. They don't need to borrow because they can create all the currency they want. Unlike you and me, they have their own bank. Not in the case of the Welsh Government, but certainly in the case of the Westminster Government. And so they do not need to borrow. When they take funds from the private sector, they're providing a savings facility. And if you doubt me, look at national savings and investment and look at premium bonds, both of which make up part of the national debt. In fact, over £250 billion of it. So... Government borrowing is just a savings scheme. There's some other myths about financial services. One of them is that company shares fund investment in the economy. Again, completely false now. All done by borrowing. Company shares, in fact, are falling in number in issue because companies are buying them back faster than they ever issue new ones. They have no role to play in funding our future. Stock exchange are just casino and that is the fundamental point the financial services industry 
is now reduced to this casino status. It provides no money to fund our future. It just plays with the money that exists. Not to put too fine a point on it, financial capitalism has become so focused on engineering financial returns from smart accounting, takeovers and mergers, and capturing private revenues, public revenues for private gain, that it has forgotten that its role was once to supply capital for useful purposes, like creating employment and affecting social change. Despite that, the government is giving massive subsidies to those with wealth through the UK financial services sector. My research with Andrew Baker, a colleague at the University of Sheffield, and we've looked at this issue in some depth, suggests that 80% of the UK's financial wealth, which is around £8.4 trillion, is saved in tax-incentivised assets. That's pension funds, ISAs, and some other similar arrangements like venture capital trusts. And massive subsidies go to these each year. £55 billion is used to subsidise pensions each year by way of tax relief. And though over £4 billion is given in ISA tax reliefs. Together, around £60 billion at least in subsidies for those two schemes alone. And at least half of that goes to the wealthiest 10% in society. And the wealthiest 1% might capture at least a quarter of it. In fact, in my estimate, the top 10% of savers get more in savings subsidies than the average person in the bottom 40% of income earners gets in benefits in the UK each week. We have a financial services sector run by an elite for the benefit of an elite with massive tax subsidies thrown in. That's the outcome of the neoliberal paradigm. And there's a terrible consequence in this. And that terrible consequence is that the fundamental pension contract, which should exist in society, has failed. That pension contract, when it exists in proper form, says that one generation, my generation, the older generation, should build up capital assets during the course of their working life, which they can then leave for use by the generations to come, so that those generations to come can afford to keep those people who have retired in their old age by foregoing part of their income to benefit those who are now elderly. It's fundamental. It's obvious, it's true, and it isn't working because we're saving through the medium of shares and bonds and unproductive activity and financial speculation. And there is nothing to back up that promise to the young generation who at some point will simply back out and say, we're not buying your shares, we're not looking after you. So what we need and I am now almost halfway through, I notice what we need is a renewed social contract. That social contract must be one where the government will in the future become the intermediary between us as savers, which most people by the time they reach older age are, and investments, a role that the financial markets have long forgotten but which the economic textbooks pretend still exists, even though the City of London 
hasn't done this for years. How to do this is the question. How could we use that 8.4 trillion of financial wealth in this country for social gain? And I would suggest that some very simple changes would actually revolutionise the way in which we look at this issue. We must reduce the state subsidies for the casino. Now, I'm not saying that means we will necessarily remove state subsidies from pensions and ICES. What I am saying is that the time has come for state subsidies, for savings which provide no social value whatsoever, must come to an end. Instead, we must now attach conditions to the subsidies that we supply to those who want, quite reasonably, to save and to save for their old age. And that condition must be that subsidised savings must be used as the capital for public purposes and that the state must ensure that the means to make this happen will be supplied because, right now, the market isn't. Let me be clear what this means. I am saying that subsidised pensions and ISAs will have to change. In the case of pension funds, well over £100 billion is saved a year. That's more than 5% of our national income. And what I'm saying is to get the tax relief on this that people want because they only really want to save in tax-incentivised assets, then 25% of all new pension contributions must be invested in new job-creating programmes compatible with net zero objectives. The suggestion would by itself, this suggestion would by itself, raise more than £25 billion of capital a year to fund socially essential goals. Now, it might sound like a lot, but can I put it in context? I'm doing some work at the moment on the cost of simply putting right the faults in England and Wales water systems. And I reckon that every penny of that £25 could be used over the next decade simply to rebuild our sewers. But thankfully, that is not the only source of new money that we've got. If we were to really be tightly defining what this new investment criteria is and saying that the opportunity for investment is available of this sort will be available to private finance and to government finance so long as tight criteria, job creation and green are met, and I mean tight criteria, then we can attract a lot more money into markets that will be lured by these tax incentives. And the much bigger source of funding is curiously ISIS. Unbelievably, and I have checked and rechecked and double-checked this statistic, £70 billion a year, or thereabouts, is invested in ISA individual saving accounts each year within the UK. The majority going into cash-based accounts. Now, admittedly, some of that money is recycled out of old accounts, but the point I'm making is that new ISA accounts should, in my opinion, only be available in the future if the money saved is placed in a green ISA bond. 
Now, it so happens that National Savings and Investments make one such bond available at present. I think it pays a bit over 3%. It's relatively attractive, although there are restrictions over the time period you must invest. But actually, I will be honest, I have some savings in it. And my suggestion is that these secure, safe bonds, which can fund government investment at a price little or no different from that which the government currently pays for borrowing, could be used as a direct source of funding to pay for new local and central government activity, as well, of course, activity by the Government of Wales. And it could spend this money on new health provision, schools, new school, new health service provision, new schools, new housing, supporting houses association, new energy systems, revamping transport, providing new energy sources, insulating properties. We all know that the list of things that needs to be done are essential. And releasing the obligation on governments to fund these capital projects out of their existing budgets and instead funding them from these sources, and these sources would be sufficient, I suggest, would also mean that there will be more money available for all those revenue-style projects that we need to pay decent pay for health workers, to provide social care, to support teachers, to ensure that mental health care is provided, and on and on. £70 billion could, I suggest, be provided in this way. What's the outcome of this very simple but very radical proposal, which simply redirects money that we know that people already want to save to social purpose? Well, the result will be that savers' money will be used to create employment. I actually suggest that savers should have some choice about the purpose their money is to be put to. They might want to put it in a green bond. They might want to put it in a health service bond. They might want to put it in a Welsh bond. They might want to put it in a Welsh education bond. These options, I think, should be available. And they will then realise that they are re-establishing the intergenerational contract between savers who are older and young people who are dependent upon this investment to build their futures and their jobs and their skills. But we will also get out of this a green transition. We will get new energy systems, new energy saving investment, new insulation projects, new housing, sustainable transport. We would have new schools, hospitals and other facilities. And as I say, by releasing budgets... We could also tackle so many of the deficiencies in public services we've already got simply by redirecting money, by changing tax incentives that already exist and which already impose a cost of £60 billion a year on the UK exchequer. People will, as a result, see their savings in use. The intergenerational contract will be restored. We might get to net zero. And because the changes in direct tax relief that stimulate the economy, there's likely to be no net cost from this. In fact, just the opposite. If we put people to work, and the whole point of this is to put people to work, 
albeit that we will need to train more people before we get to that point to the extent that we want. But if we put people to work and if we develop their skills and if we supply their training and if we are selective about how we use immigrants to help us with that and let's not pretend we won't need to do so, if we do all those things... We will stimulate our economy and deliver growth, but growth that is going to also deliver sustainability. We won't be increasing unnecessary and literally wasteful consumption. We'll be creating the foundations of a strong, permanent, sustainable economy. But this is essential. We can do it. And if we do it, we do something else. We will be able to answer that question, which every politician is asked now, when they are asked to say how they will fund their good idea. We'll be able to say, by changing pension and ISA tax reliefs, so that the money, 25% of pension contributions and all ISA savings, will be available to invest in our futures, whilst guaranteeing the savings of people in this country, which, by the way, we all rely upon because the government already guarantees our cash savings up to £85,000 at every bank account across the UK. So this does not increase government risk. And we will put the state back at the centre of the economy, where it belongs and where it is needed, so that we get the decent society that we need and want. This is my new vision for the left. This is my belief as to how we can build a new social contract between all in society, rich and poor, young and old, wherever we are, however we are, so that together we build a better country for the future. And we can do that by putting our existing money and our existing tax system to better use for the benefit of us all. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this edition of The Account. If you did, there's more on the themes addressed here on the Funding the Future blog. You can find that by searching for my name, Richard Murphy, on Google, and I should come out top of any search. Just follow the links to the blog from there. You can also find me on Twitter, at Richard J. Murphy, and on YouTube, also at Richard J. Murphy. If you like what I'm doing, you can donate to my work by clicking on the Buy Me A Coffee logo on my blog, and I hope to talk to you again soon in another edition of The Account, where we talk about the sustainable future that all of us here on Earth need to share in.